Hey everyone, welcome again to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location in Belmont, Massachusetts. My name is Brian, I pastor that location, and it's good to talk to you again. Today, as we continue our study through the Gospel of John, we're going to look at a unique moment in Jesus' ministry. We're used to Jesus doing miracles and the crowd growing bigger. We're used to Jesus teaching and the crowd gets larger. But here in this moment, in John chapter 6, Jesus teaches and people leave. We're going to look at how Jesus responds to the fact that some people walk away from him. And we're going to look at what it means for our lives and the temptations we face to walk away from Jesus Christ. It's an important message, and I hope you enjoy it. I hope you listen closely, because I believe God has something he would like to say to you. If you, uh, if you have a Bible, if you have a copy of God's Word, there uh, are some in the seats in front of you, or maybe you want to take out your phone or tablet or something and open that up, uh, and you can open up to the Bible. We are in John chapter 6 this morning. Now, if you've been with us over the last couple of months, uh, you may say to yourself, John chapter 6 sounds a little bit odd because... Uh, we have been walking through the book of John. John is one of the four books in the Bible that talks about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John's one of those four books that talk about the life and ministry of Jesus. We've been walking through this book since Palm Sunday and Easter way back in late March, early April. And now, last week we did chapter 21, and so you would think we'd wrap this whole thing up. So why are we jumping back to chapter 6? Well, months and months ago, last January actually, when uh, Pastor Rick, and that's our senior pastor at Mount Hope in Burlington, when Pastor Rick and I were sitting down and wrestling through how we were going to walk through the Gospel of John, there is one thing that, that happens in John chapter 6 that is very easy to skip over, but I believe is so important to take a moment to pause and look, out, look at because of what's happening in the world around us. So this is sort of an excursus out of the book of John. We're going to take John chapter 6. We're going to talk about it a little bit out of place. But I think what we're going to talk about today is incredibly important, especially in the world that we're living in. So some of the verses will be on the screen. Most of them are not. I'd encourage you to follow along, which means you're going to have to open up the book or open up the app. If you're not sure where it is, John's in the New Testament. If you go to the table of contents, it's the fourth book down, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, And then we're in chapter 6, verse 53. We'll be there in a moment. February, February 2003 is an important month uh, for me because that is the month where beyond all odds and uh, against everything that I thought would happen, uh, I made the bold move of approaching a girl I had met named Lori and asking her, if she would, would uh, by chance, uh, go and let me take her out to dinner. Now, she had a momentary lapse of judgment and said yes. And so, and so here's, here's what happened on that evening. Lori was doing an internship at the time in Boston. I was living up at the North Shore going to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. I had, at the time, no cell phone. Uh, which I found out later she found extremely annoying, but still decided to, to, to go out with me. I had no cell phone at the time. And I was supposed to pick her up at her house at, let's say, 6 o'clock. I don't remember the exact time. I remember it was February 2003, so give me credit for that. I drove up to her house at the appointed time, 6 o'clock. House was completely pitch black. Nobody was home. And I thought to myself, this is how I thought it would turn out. And so I waited 
10 minutes and 15 minutes. I waited so long that actually one of the neighbors, this is true, one of the neighbors came and knocked on my window and was like, are you supposed to be here, buddy? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to be. I'm waiting for someone. And uh, there's no way to communicate, if you can remember those days. So finally, finally, she pulls up about 45 minutes late uh, and, and makes up a story that the red line had, had gotten stopped uh, for a time. No, that was a true story. The red line had gotten stopped, and so she was, she was late. But then after that, then after that, uh, we went back into the city, which I'm sure you appreciated at the time. You'd just come out of. And we went back into the city, and we ate at this great Italian restaurant on Newberry Street that now is a store that sells purses or something. And we went and walked through the public garden. We walked through Boston Common. Frog Pond was out. It was an unusually warm night in February. And so we just hung out uh, in, in Boston Common. And it was, a, it was a great time. Now, here's the thing that, that Lori uh, found out fairly quickly. And that you and I find out in relationships, whether this is a friendship or something more than that, this is what happens in relationships. i got to be honest with you. I was, I was as much as I can be, that, that first date, that first night, I was on my best behavior. I was on my game as much as I can be, right? And Lori found out quickly that first date Brian is very different from regular life Brian, right? You know what I'm talking about? First date Brian is very different than regular life Brian. And you know what I'm talking about. You have a friend, you, you start dating somebody, and you find out fairly regularly or fairly soon uh, that the image that they're projecting early on is, is not consistent uh, with who they necessarily are. And so in relationships, and I'm talking friendships, I'm talking dating, all those sorts of things, when you're evaluating relationships, when those things happen, when you start to spend time with someone and then you find out that they're actually not perfect, you have this question, don't you? And the question is, do I stay or do I go? Should I stay or should I go? And that's friendships, that's dating relationships, all those sorts of things. You know, you start to find out these things about people, their, their foibles, the things that, that kind of are irritating, that they're not as perfect as they project. And then you have this question, well, do I continue to pursue this relationship? Is this a person that, that I, should, if, I should continue to invest in friendship at this level or not? You have this, this question in your mind, what should I do? The same thing, I think, happens to us in our relationship with Jesus. Here's what happens. At the very beginning of starting to learn about Jesus or thinking we know about him, all of us have an immature understanding of who Jesus really is. And some of that I don't think is our fault. Some of that is projected on us. I read, uh, I read just a little while ago about a company that was offering a huggable, lovable, plush Jesus doll that promised to, to say verses from the Bible to children. And so parents are buying this doll. And in fact, uh, what I love about this, this doll is that it's actually Amazon's choice. There's so many, uh, pl- I don't know if you see that little symbol there, there's so many plush Jesus dolls out on the market that Amazon actually has a choice of the one that is best for you. And so it's not exactly this one, but the one that I was reading about that was being sold around 2005 promised to say things uh, that Jesus said in the Bible to your children if you squeezed its heart. And so a child would take this doll and it would, they would squeeze its heart and the Jesus would say things like, um, I love you and have a very exciting plan for your life. Now the only problem with that phrase, is a nice phrase, the only problem with that phrase is 
Jesus doesn't say that here anywhere. And so someone is getting a picture of this lovable, huggable, plush Jesus doll promising to say things that are in this book, but then Jesus is saying things that aren't in this book. And for the person that receives that and takes that in, they're getting a picture of who Jesus is. But there's not just that one. There's, there's uh, talking Jesus dolls, and this is, this is one of my favorite ones too, because the talking Jesus doll uh, that's on Amazon currently will tell you six actual Bible verses, six actual Bible verses for the low, low price of $124.99. And, and I love that there's multiple reviews of verified purchasers. That means people are paying $125 for Jesus to say things from a doll. Now, why do I bring this up? Because our culture and we have opinions shaped and ideas shaped about who Jesus is over time. And the problem that we face is the things that we're being told and being portrayed to us, if you take five minutes to start actually reading this book and take a look at who Jesus really is and the things he really said, you're going to realize very quickly that the Jesus that is in this book, the Jesus that is in the Gospel of John and Mark and Matthew and Luke, that he is very different from the image that we think of or what is portrayed to us. And all of us, just like we do in a dating relationship or a friendship, we walk into this thing with a certain picture of who Jesus is. And what happens over time is eventually, if this hasn't happened to you yet, I promise you it's going to, you are going to come across something that Jesus says, you're going to come across something that this book says about Jesus, and you're going to have the same question that you have when you find out that first date Brian is, is different than, than regular life Brian, or, or first encounter friend is different than regular life friend, and that is, you're going to look at what, who Jesus is and what he actually says and what is said about him, and you're going to say to yourself, huh, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize I was buying into this. And you're going to have to deal with the same question you deal with your friendships and in a, a dating relationship. And that is, should I stay or should I go? I didn't realize this. I thought this was, I thought this was, uh, this was one thing, and it turns out it's something else. I thought this was easy to follow. It turns out it's difficult to follow. So now I have to deal with this nagging question. Should I stay in this relationship with Jesus, who I'm finding out is different than I thought, or I'm finding out said things I didn't know he said, or do I go? Is it time to leave? And that is an incredibly important question for us to think about. It would be dishonest and disingenuous for me to stand up here and to say something like, everything you find out about who Jesus is and everything that's spoken into your life from the Bible is going to make you feel happy and it's all going to be puppy dogs and ice cream cones and rainbows and it's going to be great the entire time. Sometimes you're going to come across things that Jesus says that are in the Bible and things that are said about him that are very difficult to accept. Things that challenge you. And you're going to have this question. Do I stay in this thing? Or is it time for me to go? And this morning we're going to look at this moment in Jesus' ministry where he says something that's very difficult for the people to hear. And his 12 disciples and a larger group of disciples that are following him, they all ask themselves this question and they come to very different conclusions. 
So look at John chapter 6, verse 53, and here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. So maybe you remember that sermon from a few months ago, or maybe you remember that story from Sunday school. There were 5,000 men and then women and children out on a hillside. There wasn't enough food. Jesus multiplied the food, and everybody was fed, and there was food left over. And then after that, Jesus makes a comment to the people, and he tells them that he is the bread of life. And that if they really want eternal life, that they'll come and eat from him. They'll eat his flesh. And he will satisfy not just their hunger, but he will satisfy their spiritual hunger. And the people, the people got kind of uh, frustrated by this, a little bit perturbed by this. And they started to say among themselves, among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus, in these verses, he doubles down on this. He doubles down on his teaching. And I know these verses that we're just about to read are going to be a little bit difficult to understand, but stay with me, and we'll talk about them in just a moment, okay? So let's look at these verses in John chapter 6, verse 53. This is what Jesus says to these people that after he said, I'm the bread of life you need to eat from me, are wondering what in the world he's talking about. He says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, look at how the disciples respond. And this is not just the 12 disciples like we normally think about. When John, this is disciples, there's a larger group of followers hanging out around Jesus. So when many of his disciples, that's that larger group, heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? This is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So what's happening here? Because I, I, know, I know those verses might be a little confusing to understand. This is what Jesus is saying. There's a lot here. I'm going to simplify it a little bit, okay? Jesus is saying to these people, picture it. There's a crowd of Jewish followers, and the crowd's gotten bigger because Jesus has turned water into wine and more people wanted to see. Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman by the well and more people came and wanted to see. Jesus fed 5,000 people and more people came and wanted to see. So the crowd is growing. And Jesus looks back at this crowd and says, I am the bread of life. You need to eat from me. And when he says that, he's, he's, he's really poking at two things that this crowd of people would have believed. And those two things are this. Thing number one is, one of the greatest spiritual authorities and leaders that we have is Moses. So this group of people, they would have looked to Moses. He was a massive authority for them. Not a, not a bad thing. Moses is a good authority, but he was the authority. 
people that had come to earth, lived on earth. So God, Jesus, and one thing that happened with Moses, right? When the Israelites were in the 40 years in the desert, remember they came out of slavery in Egypt. Moses led them towards the promised land. They spent 40 years in the desert. You might remember this. You've seen the 12-hour movie they play every Easter, right, with the guy from Ben-Hur. When they were in the desert, one of the ways that God sustained his people was that he provided bread from heaven called manna for them to eat. So the people would get up in the morning, there would be manna on the ground, and they would eat the manna, and they would be physically sustained for another day. God provided for them. Jesus, in speaking to this Jewish audience, is saying to them, in short, I am a greater spiritual authority than Moses, and you know how God provided for you physically with the bread in the desert? I am the bread of life. I don't just sustain you physically. I sustain you spiritually, and I give you eternal life. And all of these people, all of these people, and the, the way it's translated, say, this is a hard saying. They don't say it's a hard saying because they don't understand it. They know exactly what Jesus is saying. They know he's claiming to be the authority sent from God, and they know he's claiming to be more miraculous and better than the man is sent from heaven. He, they're not confused. It's not a hard saying like hard to understand. It's a hard saying like hard to accept. They're looking back at Jesus and saying, who do you think you are? You're a carpenter from Nazareth, and you did a few tricks here. You fed a lot of people, and you turned some water into wine, but you want us to give, us, give you our entire lives? You want us to turn everything we have over to you? You want us to believe that you're actually from God, a greater spiritual authority than anyone who's come before, and that you offer us eternal life? That is a hard teaching. And Jesus looks at them and he gives them this teaching. And watch what happens. Because what happens next is different than anything that we're used to seeing. You see, these people came because they saw the signs that Jesus did. People came because it was miraculous. They wanted the signs, but they didn't want what the signs were pointing to. And this is what happens in verse 66. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Look at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. That's an interesting verse to me. Because Jesus attracts people in the Bible. When Jesus teaches, more people come, it seems like. When, when Jesus heals, more people show up. When Jesus does a miracle, more people come. The crowds should be getting bigger and bigger. But here Jesus says something, and people leave. That's an interesting moment, I think, in the ministry of Jesus. Certainly that's something that happens right now today, doesn't it? In fact, I might say in our particular context and culture, this is happening more than ever before. Where people that have always been a part of this thing or people that grew up in this thing who called themselves Christian are hearing teachings of Jesus and saying, nope, I'm out of here. And as generations come up, it's happening more and more. In fact, I saw this week that the Pew Research Center, that uh, they do a lot of polling on religious things. In 2010, among millennials, that's people born 1984, 1985 to just a few years ago, 75% in 2010, 73%, excuse me, said that the church, having churches in our communities, having churches in our culture is a good thing. 
By 2015, the same demographic of people that had dropped by 18 points to 55%. And my guess is now just a few years later, it's dropped even further. And it's not just that people are walking away from the church because church and faith in Jesus Christ are a little bit different. They go together, but, but you can be in church and not have faith. You know what I'm saying? As far as faith in Jesus Christ, more and more, if you were to go online, if you were going to places like Reddit or if you listen to podcasts, more and more online, there are deconversion stories, they're called, being, placed, being shared all over the internet. And a deconversion story goes something like this. I grew up in the church. I followed Jesus Christ with my life. But at some point, I realized that the teachings of Jesus did not have the authority that I thought they had or didn't mean what I thought they meant. And so I have decided to deconvert from what we would consider traditional following of Jesus Christ and do something different. And the challenge with these stories is there's some big names that are posting their their deconversion stories online. People like Rob Bell, who was a, who was a big church, mega church pastor. People like Jen Hatmaker, who is an HGTV star and has written a lot of books. They're posting their deconversion stories online. And the, the reason I mention this is because the same thing that happened back here to Jesus is happening today. And you know this. You know people that grew up in this. You know people that believed this at one point. And at some point they just said, I, I can't take that teaching anymore. I'm out of here. Some of you are right there. Some of you have already done this mentally, even though you're sitting in the seat this morning. Some of you have already checked out. You're like, I just can't. It's too hard. The teaching's too hard. Some of you are right on the verge. And you know what's really interesting to me about what Jesus does here? The thing that Jesus does not do is something I think we need to pay attention to. Jesus doesn't chase them. And here's the, even the more important thing that Jesus does not do. Jesus does not change the teaching. He doesn't chase after them, and he doesn't change the teaching. Here's what is happening in our world more and more. Because people are walking away more and more because people say, listen, I hear what the Bible's saying. I hear what the church is saying. I hear what people are saying, but that's it. I can't do it. It's a hard teaching. I'm out of here. Because that's happening more and more, more and more pastors and leaders and individual, you with your conversations, with your friends and family, we are saying, oh no, I don't really think that's what Jesus meant. I don't really think that's what the Bible is saying. And more and more, the temptation to change the teaching in order to get the crowds that are walking away to come back is plaguing the church. And I want to tell you this morning, be very careful to the voices that you are listening to. Be very careful to the people that you're listening to, especially the person that would say, you know what, for the last 2,000 years, the people who have followed Jesus Christ have gotten it all wrong. Good news, I took a look at the Greek and I figured out it didn't mean that at all. Be very careful because those voices are there and they are growing. And deconversion stories that are posted online, they're not for the people that are outside the church, they're for the people that are in the church. As if to go back into the church and say to people, listen, I was right where you were. And you know how you have doubts and some of the teachings are hard? You can leave this whole thing. I left it. And you can too. They're missionaries back in the church to try to convince more people to deconvert.
And Jesus sees that happening right here, and he doesn't change the teaching. As pastors and leaders, there's great pressure to try to soften what the Bible says, to try to take it less seriously, to say, well, I don't really think that's what it meant. But I want you to know this is an important piece of what it means to be the church, an important piece of what it means to be here at Mount Hope, and I think this is our opportunity to say it. We will change everything that we can change to try and reach people for Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that is we'll do something like take a building from 1896, rip it down to the studs, try to put it back together. We'll put an HVAC system in the sanctuary that blows cold airs like it's Antarctica, and we'll, we'll put screens up, and we'll put lights up, and we'll do whatever we can to try and make a welcoming place where people can come and fellowship together and be a community and hear from God's word. We'll change all of that. And if one day we found out that more people would be likely to come to church if we painted the building purple, we might paint it purple. We change all of that stuff. But we're never going to change the truth of what God's word says or the gospel of Jesus Christ just to try to get more people to come. If people come and they say, I'm never coming back because you have Dunkin' Donuts coffee and I like Starbucks, I'll set up a Starbucks machine, no problem. (laughs) Keep coming. But if we set up the coffee machines and we set up all of those things and we get the sound right and we get the environment right and then we open up this book and we see what God has to say to us and people say, I'm not coming back and you're super nice people and I loved the coffee and, uh, and I thought it was really comfortable, but I can't live with this. We're not going to change this to fix that situation. And I think it's important to say that out loud because more and more in our culture, in our community, and I don't just mean as a nation, I mean in and around the city of Boston, this is getting changed to try and convince more people to come to church. And with God as our help, we are not going to do that. So here's the question I think we need to think about this morning. Is what should you do If we're not going to change the teaching, right? If we're not going to change the teaching, and if Jesus isn't going to come running after the people that really want to walk away necessarily, what should you do when you encounter a hard teaching from Jesus? What should you do in your life? Let me tell you something. If you haven't encountered a hard teaching from Jesus, if you haven't encountered something that's bothered you and forced you to re-examine your life, you're not digging deep enough. You need to open up the book and read it. You need to see what Jesus says because it's not going to take long for Jesus to say something if you're applying it to yourself that is offensive or harsh or really bothers you and forces you to look at your own life. So what do you do when that happens? And you have this question, do I stay or do I go? Here's what I think you should do. The first thing you should do is you should seek to understand it. You should seek to understand it. Serious understanding and serious study of what this book is saying and why it's saying it. There are all sorts of good resources that you can use to really try and understand what Jesus is saying and why he's saying it. Where you could go and say, I don't understand what he's talking about, bread from heaven. And you could go back and someone will help you understand. Well, that's talking, going back to when the Israelites were in the desert and manna was coming down from heaven. And so seek to understand what's really there so that you know exactly what Jesus is saying. The second thing that that I would say you should do when you encounter a hard teaching of Jesus is don't change it. Don't change it. It is what it is. You might be tempted to try and go back and say, you know what? 
I don't think this is really saying what it's saying. Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by him. But maybe there's a different way. Don't change it. It is what it is. You have to face what it is and deal with it and let it examine you. And there's a third thing that you should do. And it's the same thing that Simon Peter does in this book. Take a look with me at the last few verses in this passage. Verse 67. Look at what happens here. So after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And this is the question Jesus asks you, by the way. As more and more people are walking away and more and more people are hearing the truth of who Jesus is, that salvation, as I heard one pastor put it last week, I thought it was good, that salvation is by faith alone, uh, in gra- through grace alone, in Christ alone. Salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. And more and more people are saying that's a hard teaching, we can't accept it. Jesus turns to you as those people are walking away and says this, do you want to go away as well? And look what Peter says to him. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then he follows that up with this. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus turns and asks his disciples, his 12 disciples now, do you want to go too? All these other people are walking away. I told them that I was the spiritual authority. I told them that if they want to have eternal life, they need to come to me, and they all left. Do you want to go as well? And Simon Peter says, where are we going to go? You are the one who has eternal life, and we've learned that you are the Christ, the Holy One of God. And this is the third thing I would encourage you to remember. When you encounter a hard teaching of Jesus that challenges you and you don't like it and it's offensive to you and you have this question in your mind, should I stay or should I go? Don't first seek to understand it. Don't change it. And third, remember who Jesus is. Remember who he is. Jesus is the one that has the eternal words of life. Jesus is the one that offers you what nothing else in this world can offer you. Oprah might give you advice on how to live your life today and tomorrow. She's not going to give you eternity in heaven. And neither is any other place that you could go to, to try to figure out how to live and how you should feel. So where else are you going to go to learn the words of eternal life? We have this challenge. We have this challenge where these things happen in life and we read things in the book and we're trying to figure it all out for ourselves. We're trying to figure it all out. How does this make sense? And what does this mean for my life? And at some point, we think to ourselves, you know what? It would be easier just to abandon the teaching or change the teaching than it would be to try to understand it and apply it to my life. And at some point, many of us make that decision. We make the decision to walk. We make the decision to walk and change the teaching. We make the decision to walk and no longer believe. But no matter how hard the teaching is to accept, no matter how difficult it is to understand, 
We have to remember that just because something is difficult to grasp and just because something is offensive to our souls does not mean it is untrue. And it also does not change who Jesus is. Many times as a pastor, I'll have people come to me and they'll say, I can't understand X. I don't know why this happened in my life. I don't know why this happens in the world. Why do the bad people win and the good people lose? And I will often say, don't let what you cannot understand this side of heaven make you abandon what you can understand about who Jesus is. So I don't know all the answers to all those questions, but this I know. That Jesus is the Son of God who came and died on the cross and was rose again and offers you and I salvation for our sins through grace and mercy and faith. And the fact that I can't explain everything that happens in this world the way it happens does not change the truth. And Peter's sitting there and Peter says, it's a harsh teaching. And a bunch of people walked away. But you know what? That doesn't change at all who Jesus Christ is. And my prayer for you today, this morning, is that you would be reminded who Jesus is. And when the harsh, offensive, difficult teaching comes, while everyone else walks away, that you would stay and do the hard work of understanding, the hard work of letting God's word change you, rather than you doing the easy work of changing it. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we close this morning. Pastor and author Tim Keller, he puts it this way, and I love the way he says it. He says this, Contemporary people tend to examine the Bible, looking for things they can't accept, but Christians should reverse that, allowing the Bible to examine us, looking for the things God can't accept. Then the sweet grace offered, the beauty of his love, will mean something to you. Most people, he says, look at the Bible and they're just trying to find the things they can't accept. But Christians do the opposite. They look in the Bible and find the things in your life that God can't accept. And allow God's word to change us, experience his grace and mercy and the truth of who we are. God still loves us. Where are you tempted to walk away this morning? Where are you tempted to go? Where are you tempted to leave? My prayer is that this morning you would be reminded that no matter how tempted you are to go somewhere or walk away or disbelieve, That the difficulty of understanding sometimes the teaching that comes from God does not change who Jesus Christ is. God loves you. He sent his son to die for you and he offers you grace and mercy and eternal life through him. And the way to bring other people to find life in Jesus Christ is not to change what he said or dumb it down so more people can come. It's to continue to offer the truth of who God is who Jesus is, that more might believe. As we close this morning, we're going to play a song. 
And you have an opportunity right now in your seat to pray for the person that you know that's walked away, to think and reflect and pray for yourself in those areas where you are tempted to wander. And I'd encourage you to take advantage of this time. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 10 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. Learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E.org, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at M-T Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again.